Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to MMA Daily, the pro- the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. There is a story why you heard Miss Shania Twain, but we'll get into that in just a minute. <laughs> hey guys, I'm Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. I am joined by my lovely, as always, partner, Miss Kayla Beatty. Hey, G. Hey, Fight fans. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. I am still buzzing a little bit over Saturday. It was so much fun going to the fights, watching them with you. We got to witness history. We got to witness, uh, I feel like, a little bit of everything. For our U- For Ironically, for as many fights as we've gone to and talked about, This was our first UFC event that you and I actually went to together and watched live. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and it was fun to just watch as fans and not be there worried about, you know, getting an interview or a scoop or whatever. I think it was nice that we enjoyed it for what it was as as fans or as fans in Section 305. And what an event to go to, G. We saw two really intense title fights. Yeah, you know, it was just really quite something. I mean, let's get right into it with the main event before the co-main. Obviously, the bantamweight title fight between TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt. Kayla, TJ made it look easier than the first time. I feel like Cody went out there with something to prove. He came out on fire wanting to get hands on TJ Dillashaw, but... It just wasn't meant to be. And TJ, after he had Cody hurt, he was just relentless in getting the job done. What was your evaluation of the fight? You know, I I read an article yesterday um, where someone was comparing a lot of these champions wanting immediate rematches. And the more that I was reading and then thinking about it, I don't know if that's always the best move and the best way to go. Because I think that one, we already know this fight had a lot of emotions running, and we were hoping that they would be in check a little bit better the second time around. But who wants to, you know, that fear of getting knocked out a second time back-to-back is in the back of your head, especially in this fight. But then also the eagerness that you want to knock him out and get your belt back that you feel like, you know, you deserve and you're the champion. I just think that all of that, you know, it, it would take a very strong human being to be able to check those emotions. And I think that unfortunately for Cody, as soon as he thought that he had TJ hurt, he just stayed around a little too long and made the, you know, similar mistakes to where TJ, you know, is good at countering him. And, and, you know, we, we said that both guys have the ability to knock each other out again. So it was a shorter fight than I wanted, but I think, you know, like most people are agreeing, I think the emotions were, um, Cody's downfall what did you think yeah you know for myself I really felt like TJ was just a little more dialed in I felt like he was just more prepared to face the adversity um credit to Cody he did get hands on him he did do damage yeah TJ played it off Mm -hmm. that he bruises easily but let's be honest Cody you know really did blacken him up a little bit with punches for as few shots as he threw but to me it really came down to the composure 
yeah, he just looked bad. Um, but really, for TJ, his composure, I think, is what really stood out to me, Kay. I feel like he just he took the shot well, and when he recovered, he was just relentless. He conserved his energy. That final barrage, he didn't really waste too much. He just didn't blow himself out trying to really hit that one big shot. It was more the accumulation. And I completely agree with Herb Dean's decision to pull TJ off and stop the fight. I feel like Cody was only going to take more punishment. I know Cody was still motioning him on, but that wasn't because TJ slowed down. He had that opportunity because Herb Dean stopped it. So I'm completely okay with it. I think that was fair. And yeah, just full credit to TJ. You and I talked about this, the storyline of just the emotions and his, you know, just that alpha male rivalry that I think he can now put behind him. Um, Look, it was a job well done. And now we're really talking about what's next for TJ. How does he top this one? And it's not an easy answer. So let me toss it to you because the two names everyone is throwing around, Dominic Cruz, Marlon Moraes. Dominic hasn't fought since December of 2016, and he lost the belt to Cody Garbrandt. Marlon, more active, coming off the knockout of Aljamain Sterling and a knockout of Jimmy Rivera. Who do you put in there? Or the guy we might be talking about, you know, Henry Cejudo. We'll get to that in a minute, but... Who do you even put against TJ Dillashaw right now? I like the Marais fight. I think that that or the title fight with Cejudo of TJ going down. I like those two. I think that I stand by what we were saying last week. I really think Dominic Cruz needs to go tune-up fight. Um, I think that Cody was able to expose stuff in his game. And I think that TJ is just really in a great place right now that I think it would be good. It would be best interest for Dominic just to have a tune-up fight, especially after coming off of recovery of, you know, um, what was her, was it his back? Do you remember his injury? What he um, I think, I want to say he broke the arm on this last one that was left. Oh, no, no, this was the arm. That's right. Yeah. It was Cody who had the back. But, yeah, so I just think that after, but still an arm injury, I mean, I think after having this long of recovery, um, you know, I just think that I, I'd rather him get a tune-up fight. What do you think, G? Um, for myself, I really feel like it's, I think you, I agree, a tune-up for Dominic. I think that um, just overall it's better for promotion. When we talk about Dominic, yes, he is right there. It's like one in one A. Who's the best bantamweight of the decade of all time? And my thing about it is if you're going to put Dominic Cruz in a title fight, yes, stylistically, I'd love to see him at his best take on TJ at his best once again. However, you're talking about not just them. What do you do about Marlon? about Jimmy Rivera, about everybody else who's going to end up in line. And quite frankly, Dominic Cruz, at his best, is a great threat to anybody. But if you're not confident in him staying healthy and being able to defend the title, you really don't have, you know, that just hurts business long term. We're seeing that this year with several champions. So I really feel like a tune-up is best. We'll know that Dominic still can be a killer in the cage. 
He can show us that he can stay healthy. And then, of course, if you have TJ against Marlon and he beats that tough fighter, then I feel like that just makes the interest in a TJ Cruz number two even more interesting. So I think that's just the best move overall. It lets both of them just grow and make this fight even bigger. And quite frankly, I mean, with Henry Cejudo, uh, I appreciate him shooting his shot. And we'll get into that, like I said, in a sec. But I think that there's just other people in line. I feel like he still has just a bit of business. But do you have anything else to add to the main event real quick? No, um, I think we covered everything. And I think what's nice is, you know, I, I, I like to see a champion secure his spot. And then I like that there's exciting matchups. I like that TJ Dillashaw's down. I think that's something that we're seeing with both champions from that night is they're just down for challenges. So it gets me just more excited for these, you know, lighter weight classes again. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be fantastic. I think it just shows a lot of growth in this division. So I think we're just looking at it working out just so. All right. Welcome back, Fight Fan. We just had a bit of a technical difficulty after discussing the main event, but we seem to have it sorted out. So our apologies. And of course, we wanted to make sure we're coming in loud and clear for this historic co-main event. Kayla, there was some, I think maybe it was a little Shania Twain. Maybe it was something about the California, L.A. in the summer. But Henry Cejudo, he found the right cheese. He upsets Demetrius Johnson to become the new UFC flyweight champion. There's so many things going on. The injuries, the ankle, Demetrius' foot. Um, the way the rounds were so close, where, just take it away, honestly. There's so many places we could go. Yeah, I mean, to be there and witness that was, you know, something special for sure. And we kind of called it, we, we've said before the fight, the night was too calm. Something really dramatic had to happen. But I think um, overall, it was just so cool to see Henry Cejudo evolve as a martial artist. I mean, you you can tell he's put the work in since that last fight. And yeah, it was, to me, this is kind of what you want to see with the title fight. If it's going to be competitive, I want it like going down to that last round where we're not really sure, you know, who it could go to. Because um, I think, you know, collectively, most people feel like that second round was the one that was very telling. I kind of want to talk a little bit about, you know, I don't want to take anything away from Henry Cejudo, but I do want to hear your opinion, G. Like, I don't know if you were, if you watched it back um, again, just at, from home, but there is something to be, you know, judged for what, you know, do we think Henry Cejudo did enough on the ground? Demetrius Johnson, I think uh, the first significant takedown, in my opinion, was fighting back quite a bit. And it was Henry Cejudo kind of just controlling and using that weight on him. Um, There's a little bit more activity, I think, the second time around. And then, of course, those leg kicks. If you looked at Demetrius Johnson's foot, clearly he was doing damage with those leg kicks, not only on himself, but um, against Henry Cejudo. And should those have been scored high, you know, higher with points? 
I do think that Henry Cejudo did a great job of, you know, he even said in the post-fight press conference, I knew I was going to have to get hit to be able to land on him. I had to close that distance and also close that distance for the leg kicks. And I think in doing so, he really was starting to just make Demetrius Johnson work and kind of stop him from going through with his game plan. But it was very cool to see Henry Cejudo come back and, you know, figure Demetrius Johnson out a little bit and make it a competitive fight. And I really do like him as champion, too, which we can talk more about, you know, that after we go over the fight. So what did you think? Yeah, well, to talk about it, um, the second round, I think, like you just said, you know, what did he get done? That one, it was like splitting hairs because, honestly, they were so close. I mean, I had Demetrius ahead. Just he was landing a little more. I felt like he was just being slightly more effective. The thing for Henry is he gets the takedown. He doesn't really do damage. He just kind of more settles in on top of Demetrius, but he never really got close to a you know submission. He never really, I think, even attempted it. Didn't really get off any good ground and pound. He really just more held him down with his weight and was looking to improve. He never actually got anything done there. But in a close round, did that steal it? I, in the moment, it was still a Demetrius Johnson round. I did watch it back. And when I saw that second round, I was like, you know what? It Once again, it was a close round. But I did find myself feeling more like it was a Henry Cejudo round when I did see slow down some of the drama out of it, some of that tension from watching live it did feel slightly more in Cejudo's favor, but it was still a close round. And then with the kicks, Kayla, I mean, look, the fact is Demetrius didn't do great damage with punches. It really came from his leg kicks. And I think that he was just getting there in the first. The third round was his best round, but I want to say that that's also where he hurt himself. He did have that excellent scramble, if you remember, where Henry... Almost had the takedown, but then Demetrius scrambles and almost takes the back. And it's just that beautiful sequence. The Grampies were awesome. Yes. So, I mean, that was Demetrius, but round four and five, Henry Cejudo turned it on. Maybe that's Demetrius' foot starting to hurt. Maybe that's Henry just that heart and really wanting to get in there and fire himself up. But, yeah, I think um, Henry Cejudo, he really just sealed it in those fourth and fifth rounds one through three. Well, at least one and two were pretty close. But looking back at it, it was just a good close fight. If you had it for Cejudo, I get it. If you're telling me Demetrius just edged that second round, you have a great argument. And I think that's why we kind of need to talk about the future now. Because, I once again, Cejudo <laughs> makes history. But Demetrius Johnson is still right there. Um, Kayla, let me toss it to you real quick for this one. Is Okay, I respect the fact, once again, he shot his shot. He wants to fight TJ. The reason he has a great argument is because he's already beaten the other top guys at 125. He stopped Wilson Hayes. He dominated Sergio Pettis. He did lose to Joseph Benavidez, but that was controversial. Everyone and their mom says that they felt Henry Cejudo won that fight, so maybe he doesn't feel like he has anything to prove. I think that if you're not going to do a Demetrius Johnson trilogy, there's really very few options for him besides possibly moving up or someone moving down. 
what are your thoughts on the situation? I do, I do agree with what you're saying. I think that um, he has fought well against the top guys in his division. And I don't know, some of those fights don't really get me as excited. The only reason why I favor TJ going down is I feel like when you look at TJ's resume, I think that I feel like he deserves it a little bit more. And it's hard because Henry Cejudo is the first guy to get, a, you know, to stop Demetrius Johnson's run. That's huge. But I feel like when you look at how TJ first won the belt, how, you know, he's been down to give Cody the immediate rematch. I just think that um, even though there's other fights that we can have, we there was more fights when we were talking about TJ and what, what to do with him. There was more that intrigued us. I just feel like TJ deserves it slightly more to be able to be the one to win two belts. I, I really want that Demetrius Johnson rematch because I think that this fight was just very close watching it back. I don't know. Gee, I, I feel a certain way about Henry Cejudo's, you know, significant takedowns. I really don't think that he was doing that much damage with his takedown. I think it was more just, wow, he was able to get Demetrius Johnson in a compromised position and hold him there for a while. I agree. And I I think that had Demetrius Johnson maybe not been injured, because I think he said he tore something too, maybe Henry Cejudo wouldn't have won the belt. So I I hate to, you know, take away any of his shine. um, But I think that, I don't know, more than than other rematches, this is one that I kind of do want to see played back right away. But we don't know when we'll be able to see that because of the injuries that Demetrius Johnson did get. Yeah. Also, you know, his lovely wife, I think they said they're expecting their second or third child very soon. Third, yeah. Yeah, Congratulations, DJ. um, Full house. And I hope you enjoy it. And I hope just the best. But I agree with you Um, on the takedowns, Kayla. I I really agree. Uh, Look, I mean... It was supplemental rather than really damaging. I think that's what I keep getting at when I saw those. Um, like you said, he didn't do the most dramatic damage, the most effective damage. It was really more he completed it, but he couldn't really capitalize enough on it. Um, the thing about it is, okay, so this is me maybe, you know, peering into the crystal ball a little bit and seeing if I could come up with something creative. But I'm going to bring up an interesting... Ah, interesting facts someone mentioned that they weighed these guys before the main and co-main and ironically Henry Cejudo walked into the cage weighing the same amount as Cody Garbrandt did for the back yeah I'm gonna throw this and not a good thing to do in California yes well that that is another story I think they have a rule that they're not enforcing but we can debate why and what should happen another one but I agree but here's the thing, playing a little bit of, you know, Sean Shelby channeling the spirit of the probably sleeping Joe Silva. I think let's fix things at Bantamweight, TJ Marlin, Dominic, somebody else. And because Henry doesn't really have another title contender, because DJ probably needs some time away to rest and enjoy his family, heal up. I think wild card Cody Garbrandt comes down to 125 to keep Henry Cejudo active. 
And then after- I mean, <laughs> yeah, that could be something. And that, and you know, it is kind of hard to place what what Cody Garbrandt should do next. Because he, yeah, Cody's still a popular guy. We saw that on Saturday. And look, I mean, if guys are hurt, and you know, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's the reason why it's a tough sport. You still got to move it along. I'm trying to find the next best option because the only other one, honestly, in my opinion. Just wait for Demetrius to get better. Um, that would probably mean you're looking at next spring, but that's really the only thing left. Yeah, well, we um, – I don't know. Do you think that there's guys in the top five that could be matched up again? And um, if someone gives you an exciting performance, do you think that that could change your mind as far as um... – who Henry Cejudo should defend his title against next. I mean, Alex Perez did work on the prelims. We saw that. I think if you put him in there with maybe a, um, maybe a Joseph Benavidez, and I want to say Joseph, is he fighting for Miga? I know Joseph Benavidez just recently signed a fight also. I mean, that's really the only one. If Benavidez could just come in and just handle business do and put on a great performance he's the only guy that i really have up there i think everybody else is just not that exciting to me right now that's that's really just where i'm at do you have somebody no not really i mean yeah i did i was impressed by alex Perez. that was someone that we were talking about um so i like that i mean especially in that division i think like we you know just been discussing a lot of them have already faced each other um, or just a few people have been more dominant. So it is kind of a division that we, it would be nice to get some young guys coming in there and, and stirring it up a little bit and adding some competition. But yeah, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's something where Henry Cejudo does kind of sit as champ for a little bit. Um, maybe work on the promotion of being the, the new face for the Hispanic MMA community. And really just wait to see when Demetrius Johnson wants to come back. Yeah, I, I think that could, I think that's most likely going to be it. Also, I, I feel the need to point out because I feel like it became a topic. This is not the end of the line for Demetrius Johnson. I see a lot of success still ahead for him. So the people criticizing all this and that, where does he go? Does he go? I think he's got a lot of fight left. I wouldn't worry about it. Silly. Yeah. Yeah. But Kayla, I mean, we got to see. Okay, so I have four highlights to, to stand out and reminisce real quick. Hinato Moicano, shocking Cub Swanson at home. So dramatic. Literally, we're there. Everyone is going crazy for Cub. And then he chokes him out, and that place goes quiet. That was an insane experience. Uh-huh. Um, Tiago Santos, Kevin Holland. That one was interesting. Fun. Did you hear... Did you hear Dana White's um, backstory with Kevin Holland? No. What happened? Oh, my gosh. It made me like him even more. Um, I guess when he was on the Contender Series, he came in pretty similar in the octagon. He was just talking the whole time, talking shit to his opponent, talking shit to Dana White. And Dana White got a bad taste in his mouth saying, I'll never sign this guy. He's a, a clown. Well, I guess when Tiago Santos needed an opponent, they called, he said, like, a 
four to five uh, guys from the contender series and no one wanted to take the fight. Everyone said no. And he said, I bet you, I know who's going to take the fight. Call the big mouth guy. And Kevin Holland took the fight on two weeks notice. And really for two weeks notice and against Tiago Santos, I think he gassed out in the third, but I feel like he had some nice moments in there. At least it was an entertaining fight and there was some competitiveness in there. So Dana White says, even though, you know, he was being a jokester and talking so much that his mouth guard fell out twice, he's going to give him another fight, you know, with the proper amount of time to to train and and have a camp for. That is awesome. I like that. (laughs) Um, I still need to call or text uh, Mike Beltran, ask him, what the heck was that man saying? (laughs) And Mike, come on, put an end to this madness. But yeah, that was fun. Uh, The Alex Perez fight was a lot of fun to me. But Mm -hmm. my all-time favorite that I will, okay, I will always have this moment for the rest of my life. Where was I the night that Demetrius Johnson lost the belt? And it's going to be at the Staples Center with Kayla serenading with some Shania Twain right next to me. <laughs> I couldn't help it. I saw her in concert the night before. And just being in that stadium made me want to sing Shania. She, she left some of her spirit in the UFC arena. I mean, I'm listening to this embrace and all this other stuff. Just <laughs> and, and fans, I just want you to know, I'm not going to like, you know, it, it happened sporadically in the most interesting moments. And I would just like, is that you? <laughs> and it was just, but it was so much, I mean, you and I always have a lot of fun when we hang out at these things. I feel like we always add to our list of stories. And that one is one of the more entertaining ones. So I, I can say I've never experienced a UFC with that aspect. So I'm good with it. <laughs> But yeah, I had a ton of fun. I mean, what are your final thoughts having gotten to be there? Yeah, I think it was a historic night. I really liked the energy in the arena, even though we were totally in. Okay, I was talking to one of my friends that was there. And he's like, man, my whole section was team no love. He's like, I was the only one rooting for TJ. And I was like, yeah, we were in one of those sections, too. There was a lot of, um, you know, hardcore fans, but it was just so fun to be around that energy because you and and I really think that even the people we were around a lot of those people were very educated on the um on the sport you could tell how they were watching it the way that they were shouting and stuff um you could tell they were real MMA fans not really just going in there to just see a brawl and I think that that's one thing that Dana White brought up is and you had said this whole card was for the little guys and it was an almost sold out stadium. And yep. he's, he said, he's like the way the fans were cheering and responding, you could tell it's because that they were there, you know, for the technical battles, for the competition. And it was just so nice to be around that energy. Cause we know sometimes going out and watching fights, you can get some jokesters in the crowd and they can kind of ruin it for you. Yeah, well, I mean, I knew that I was okay cheering on TJ because that we had picked them, but I knew that, you know, you've been training, so you'd have my back if we need to fight our way out of Section 305, so <laughs> we were going to be all right. But yeah, and also, um, just a final note that I think you really have to acknowledge, we were there, it was sold out. I mean, there were maybe a few single seats, but all the sections were full, 
And you got to remember, they sold out Staples Center for TJ Cody, too, and Demetrius Johnson. I mean, they're great fighters, but we know that popularity is a big part of it. We know that there are probably guys and girls maybe a little higher on the list in terms of who's a big star. The people came out knowing it was going to be the little guys. And I think that that says a lot about where we're at in terms of just the respect for the skill level. And I think that's something to really admire because I know they get a lot of grief about they can't sell, they're not, you know, people don't watch and etc. That wasn't the case when we saw it. And would you agree? Totally. Yeah. So I think that was just, that was awesome. I think that's something worth noting in my opinion. And yeah, so definitely, I mean, I think now we know better to plan for the next one with more of our MMA friends, but I really enjoyed it. It was a, just a ton of fun, so I'm glad we got to experience it. Moving on to MMA news, Kayla. We have it. It was official. It is announced. He is coming back. Conor McGregor to take on Habib Nurmagomedov for the lightweight championship at UFC 229 in, on October 6th in Las Vegas. Kayla, where do we begin? Um, Conor, easily the biggest star in MMA, crossover appeal, etc. Habib, undefeated grappler. Is he the guy to take out Conor in MMA for the belt? Just, I mean, just talk to me about this one. Where do you want to start? Yeah, it's a huge fight. It's the fight that the fans really want. I feel like the last couple times I've seen um, both men fight, um, I've been either working at the sports bar or just out, and they really do have their strong followings. And I think that a win for either man to either be the one to stop Habib that's another accomplishment added to Conor McGregor's resume or a win, you know, over Conor McGregor, especially in his comeback fight. That's just another, you know, uh, notch on, on Habib's belt, but especially too, I think that he'll, I don't want to say steal some of Conor's, you know, um, fans, but I just think that they're going to respect him more. They're going, you know, it's just going to build him as a star, um, more and cement his name. So, I know that uh, some people have a sort, sort of feeling of Connor coming back and getting an immediate title shot, but we know, like you said, he's the, the most popular fighter in the UFC. So I'm just going to roll with it, and I think it's going to be, you know, probably the uh, top-grossing fight of the year. What do you think? Um, completely agree. All systems go on that one. Uh, really, for me, I think it's about there. It's going to be big. Period. I think they're going to break the million, etc. There's a lot of this, will it be the biggest fight in MMA history? Honestly, I think that it can be. However, you really have to go in-depth. You really have to get these guys talking. You really have to make some noise with the whole Ireland versus Russia because there is a little bit of that there. There's this Connor being invited by Vladimir Putin to the World Cup and Habib is there and there is a little bit of that international aspect, but with only two months and Dana White said there's not going to yeah. be a world tour, you really have to crank this up a notch quickly because we're already in August. 
the fight happens at the top of the October. There's only two months between training, camp, you know, press conference, whatever, to really build this thing. So I think that if they could really get us to see what's really going on, what's happening with that, then you really will feel more invested. But right now it is on track to just be huge. Um, look, with Connor, look, you know what kind of money he brings to the table. They were never going to walk away from putting that fight together. They were always going to make it the priority. So I think all parties involved are just aware of that. We've acknowledged it. And I like the approach of guys like Dustin Poirier and others. Just like, hey, let me stay. Just go out there and fight. These guys can handle their business or not. Someone could get hurt. And then, hey, I just jump in there and do my thing. I think that's a great approach. And then in terms of the fans, this is what you wanted. You wanted the big star in the biggest fight. I'm ready to just enjoy it. I am planning to have the MMA daily watch party and just find one of my rich friends to let us use the house and <laughs> just break it down. Kayla, I need a co-host. Are you in? I'm in. I'm um, more intrigued, though, you know, because, of, like you said, the time frame. I'm sure that, you know, Connor stayed, stayed um, busy and stayed, you know, kept training and stuff and, and, and hopefully started training in his wrestling and takedown defense because he knew this was the fight they were trying to make. But I'm really intrigued just to see who he's brought in his camp to prepare for Habib. Yeah, I mean, Dylan Donis stands out to me. He's a guy, a uh, great grappler, SBG. They've been there. Um, real quick, I mean, obviously we'll go in depth later on as it gets closer, but can Connor knock Habib out with the left hand? Can Habib explode, expose Connor's grappling? What do you feel about all that, Kayla? Yeah, I think both of those things are a possibility. Um, and maybe that's going to be the case as he doesn't even try to grapple with, with Habib because who do you bring in to, I guess, practice that that strength that everyone talks about i don't know if you can bring someone in do you bring in baby bears to train with i don't know um but yeah and then that's what i want to see is i think that especially in habib's last couple of fights he says that he chose to stand on the feet and show people that he you know was not a one-trick pony but obviously there's still work to be done there too and i think that connor is not someone you can sleep on with that so it's, it is actually an intriguing fight, you know, um, from a technical side, too, if both men prepare properly. I, I want you to know, I think it's going to be a long time before I lose the image of Connor with, like, some baby bears on the mat. I want you to know. <laughs> um, but, uh, look, uh, this is a tough one. Um, Habib's grappling, if he gets on top of you, it's really tough for me to see Connor getting out of that just from what we've seen. But then again, very few guys can keep up, can really take that left hand shot and the punishment he can bring. And it's really going to, it could go either way, honestly. I think that's what makes this one really exciting too is that you have a lot of weapons on both sides that could be dangerous. But yeah, it's going to be good. I'm ready for it. Also, I mean, when we're talking about MMA, you and I both know this. It's just bigger and more exciting when we have a star of this caliber 
I mean, I go to get my hair cut and they want to talk to me about Conor McGregor when they know he's fighting. It's a big deal. And I think that's just, you have to enjoy MMA in those moments because I think it just makes it more fun when it's that big of a show, more people want to get involved. Moving on to the lightweight division at UFC 230, we have a very interesting return, Dustin Poirier versus Nate Diaz. Diaz obviously returning after a two-year absence, and this is his first fight since the rematch with McGregor. I mean, this one just kind of took me by surprise, especially because Dustin was very, you know, I want the title shot or don't bother. Talk to me about this one coming together, Kayla. Well, I don't even know what the latest is. The latest that I read on it was that Dana White said, look, I'm sick of trying to book a fight with either of the Diaz brothers, but there's somebody that was working in corporate that's a huge fan of Nate Diaz, got him to, I guess, commit to at least showing up to a press conference saying that he would fight, um, you know, at 2.30, but then... Of course, the, you know, another infamous tweet was sent out that he's not fighting on that card and, you know, F the UFC. So I understand why Dustin Poirier took it. I think if you know that the Connor and Habib fight is going to be made, why not get a super fight with probably one of the other most popular fighters of the UFC, Nate Diaz? Hopefully it would get him a big payday. Um, but I think that it's also a fight that, is a little bit um, uh, more, pre- I don't want to say predictable, but just it's it's a kind of a no, what do they call them? A, a mismatch? No, no what? A mismatch? Not a mismatch, but just um, low risk is what I'm trying okay. to say. <laughs> okay. It's a low risk fight because in my, in my eyes, though I, though Nate Diaz is clearly skilled and, um, you know, tough. I just think that Justin Poirier has been the more active fighter, especially having this fight at 155. I don't think Nate Diaz has fought at 155, I think since 2015. I just think that it's a a more of a low risk fight for what he's getting out of it, of being a fight that's going to be one that people tune into. So I understand why he took it. But what frustrates me, and this is why some people were like, why aren't you posting about this news? is I had a feeling, just the way that the Diaz brothers have been acting, that until I see that the contracts are signed, or maybe until it's actually fight week, I don't even know if I believe it is happening. So in other words, you're not saying nothing until they're actually in the cage and Herb Dina said, let's get it on? <laughs> yeah. No, you know what? No, that's completely reasonable. Um, for me, I think uh, just on paper... Um, Nate Diaz is a dangerous guy. I don't expect him to have gone, you know, out of shape. I don't expect him to be like walking around like 220, just eating in and out and living life. I think that he's been in relatively okay shape. However, I think that the blue, okay, I know a lot of fans, they got introduced to Nate through Conor McGregor. What you have to remember is the blueprint has been out there to beat Nate Diaz at lightweight for a long time. RDA really dominated him, Benson Henderson, Josh Thompson. There is the blueprint out there to chew him up with leg kicks, keep him on his back, use some very just pressure in terms of the wrestling. And I think all of that really does favor Dustin Poirier. 
is going to be about after this layoff. How serious has Nate been about training? Have, has he just been getting his light workout in to stay in shape? Or has he really been in training camp, staying sharp, working on these things? That's going to be the big question in my opinion. So, yes, he's a dangerous guy. But you're right to say Dustin Poirier has all the weapons to really take him out at this stage. And I just think that it's hard for me to get behind like you said, the seriousness of Nate Diaz wanting to make a comeback if he's so quick to tweet out and say, never mind, I'm not fighting again. I mean, so many fans are behind behind him, but if you're really wanting to tease, like it's just mean to tease your fans that for a comeback when they're so loyal to you and then be so quick to be like, no, actually, I'm not feeling it, bye. Yes. No, I, I mean, my thing, the way I interpreted the I'm not fighting on the card at the UFC, I think that's him saying that he's not going to accept being moved to the October card. He's not going to bolster the sales and help McGregor pocket because we know McGregor's getting so many pay-per-view points. And essentially, he's not going to play that business game. He's not going to move his schedule around just because it'll help the UFC and other people make more money. I think that's what he's getting at. But but don't they- you think it's odd? I mean, you're he's saying he doesn't want to be connected with Conor McGregor, yet you're making your comeback because you've been, you know, out for a little bit the same time that he's coming back, like it's being announced around in the same week. We all know that he still wants that super money fight, the trilogy. So I don't know, to me, like you're not playing anybody. Like you do want to be connected to him if it's going to make you money. So you have to play the game a little bit too with the UFC. It's a business. I'll elaborate on that. Let me ask you a quick yes or no question. When he was called and he agreed to fight Dustin Poirier, do you think that they told him that they were going to do the Conor Habib fight? I don't know if they told him. Why would they tell him that if they're negotiating his fight? But if he's staying uh, you know, in tune with what's going on with that division he's wanting to fight in, then he should know that it's going to be happening. I guess for me, the only way I would feel insulted in the business side of it was if maybe, if I'm Nate, and I'm being told, yeah, we're bringing you back. You know that you're popular since the Connor fight, blah, blah, blah. Dustin Poirier, Madison Square Garden. Okay, I'm feeling pretty good. The Connor news really stole all his thunder. And now maybe he feels like he's being shuffled back to be, you know, the, the uh, what's a great word for it? I'll think of it, but essentially now he's second fiddle. Now he's just supplementary and he's not going to get, you know, everything else. That is the so, only way if I'm Nate, I would feel insulted by that or one take it. So offense. you think you think that he was intrigued by Dustin Poirier to come back, that for some reason, all the names they've been throwing at him, that Dustin Poirier, for some reason, intrigues him enough to come back. I think he for sure knew that Connor was coming back and that's why he's making a comeback. Why would a Dustin Poirier, like no offense, but he's been shooting down all these other names, even Tyron Woodley saying, come fight me at my belt up here. 
why would just the news of saying we'll have you fight at Madison Square Garden against Dustin Poirier intrigue him enough to finally come back? Unless he just does want to come back to MMA all of a sudden. I mean, he wasn't making a ton of money before. I wouldn't be surprised if he... Look, I don't think he's at retirement money. I think that's my biggest thing, even though he's had the good fights with Connor. I think that might be part of it, but... um. You I have think a great he knew point about the Connor fight or Connor comeback at least. Uh, you have a great point, and I think that um only he knows for sure. Maybe they felt like it was more speculation, or maybe they did know. Yeah, this is a done deal. It's gonna happen, bro. But I think that that might be the only thing. And you know, once again, we know that he likes to be a rebel, both with or without a cause. That's probably <laughs> that's probably kind of it. Is like, hey, you know. I'd rather stay on a different card where I'll get more money rather than, oh, fight the same night as Conor Habib and every question is going to be, who do you want? What are you going to do? Et cetera, et cetera. Maybe he feels like he doesn't want to add to that circus if he's not making the money off of it as much. That's the only thing I can think of. That's the only thing I can think of. And that makes sense because I think that especially when you work in media, those would be questions that would pop up and kind of take away from his actual fight and talking about his comeback is it, it will be connecting those two if they're on the same card. But we also know that Connor would be asked those same questions as well. So I don't know. Yeah, I know. But Connor is also asked everything under the sun. I think that's, that's the tricky thing, but look, this is assuming they both come out there at the top of their game, which, you know, is our hope. It's still a very fun fight. It's a great one for Madison Square Garden. Um, Kayla, I'm going to throw this out before we move on from all that news, just to another crystal ball thing. They are talking about who's going to headline MSG, and they haven't come close yet. I'm going to toss this one out there. There's still talk about John Jones possibly being able to get his suspension done. I have to imagine that that might be the only fight is maybe him coming back DC or otherwise. But after all these announcements that were made, I can't imagine what else they're saving for MSG. Do you have any ideas about that? I think that your, um, you know, um, I guess early predictions or um, suspicions might be the head on the uh, because I think that Daniel Cormier for some reason keeps hinting that he still might take one more before the fight with Brock and I can't imagine why he would risk that you know we've talked about it why not just take that last fight with Brock and retire why would you risk losing your belt when you're currently you know have that going of this two belt uh, you know division or division holder and, and then super fight with Brock. I don't, I think we've talked about selling that fight. I think the company would risk that either unless it was a fight with Jones. So I think that right now it's a waiting game where they are trying to figure out if there's a possibility for a Jones return soon. I mean, to me, there's just no one else on the roster. I think that would come close. I mean, unless they're about to do DC Corey Anderson, which maybe they're just going to put all their eggs on selling He's the double champ coming back and et cetera, et cetera. I just don't see another 
MSG worthy main event unless that's the one they're trying to hold out on so that's the only thing I wanted to acknowledge on that the next story a more light heavyweight action that we brought it up Vulcan Uzdemir versus Anthony Smith this one gonna be in Moncton which we got to explore and talk about um, earlier in June this fight October 27th Uzdemir has not fought since losing to DC back in January hello yes can you hear me Fangirl MMA, are you there? I can hear you now. Okay, sorry about that. Sorry for the technical difficulty. So, Vulcan Uzdemir has not fought since losing to DC in January. He was supposed to come back on Saturday, but he had a broken nose. Anthony Smith, obviously two weeks ago, knocked out Shogun Hua. Before that, knocked out Rashad Evans. Kayla, this one just stylistically... Someone's going to sleep. I love it. What about you? Yeah, both guys are very dangerous, um, in great shape, and uh, I think just hungry. I think Vulcan really wants to come back after all of his mess and come back um, proving that he has done work since his loss to DC, and Anthony Smith is just on a nice run. So, um, yeah, this is kind of a a, a fight between two very bad, dangerous guys. I like this matchup. And I like how Anthony Smith and Vulcan, actually, who kind of, you know, had to scramble things around, I like how that they want to be active. That's what makes me excited, too, is these guys clearly want to fight to where they're saying, all right, someone fell out. Well, who can I fight next? Or, hey, I finished this fight you know, um, and didn't get any injuries, I want to get back in there as soon as possible. That's what I like to see, active fighters. Yeah, I think they're both really showing it. Look, it was unfortunate with Vulcan at the end of the day. It's just what it is. But um, look, when he's saying, I'm going to come back quick, I'm going to take on this tough, dangerous guy. Same with Anthony Smith saying he wants to come back quick. I'm with it. That says you're hungry. You want it. You're going to go out there to try to put on a show. I'm on board for this one. I think the winner does have an argument for where they're going to be in the light heavyweight division when it's all sorted out in the next uh, seven, six, seven months or so with DC. So I'm with it. I'm ready for it. Um, finally, the Bellator Welterweight Grand Prix announced their bracket, and the matchups are as follows. In one side of the bracket, you have former champions Douglas Lima and Andre Koreshkov colliding. And then you have the grudge match, Paul Daly against Michael Venom Page. On the second half of the bracket, you have welterweight champion Rory McDonald. He's going to be fighting John Fitch in the opening round. And then in their bracket, you have up-and-coming Ed Ruth taking on Neiman Gracie in a battle of undefeated grapplers turned mixed martial artists. There are some good fights on this for this tournament to get started. Kayla, my first um, observation, when I looked at it, I looked at how everyone is divided and separated. I think that they are hoping to give it, give Rory McDonald a showcase. He has a great fight with John Fitch, who you could argue is the biggest name besides himself there. And then possibly could face Michael Venom Page in the final. That's a guy who a lot of people think would be exciting if he gets to the championship. I think that's why the bracket was separated in mine because I feel like for both of those men, Rory and Michael, 
They also have a potentially, I don't like to use the word easy, but they'd also be heavily favored in their second round fight, no matter who wins of their opponents. So that stands out to me. I think that there's some smart matchmaking to showcase some guys. What about you? Yeah, I agree. I think that Michael Page is someone that I really believe in his skills, but people say, well, he just hasn't faced, you know, the, the right competition. I love that he's thrown in here. I love that we're getting that matchup between him and Paul Daly, which is a fight that a lot of people wanted to see for a long time. But like you said, the way that um, just these brackets have been set up, it can set up some really nice um, matches between the guys. And I love the Ed Ruth and, and Neiman Gracie matchup. I've really enjoyed seeing Ed Ruth come into each fight, clearly growing his skills and, to me, that's just, you know, clearly a fun one on the ground. And I want to see where he has, I guess, just worked on in developing his grappling game and, and submission defense. Yeah, I mean, just both of them, I think, um, look, they're set up for a very big moment if they could upset either Rory or John Fitch. And I think that's the one to watch. And then also Douglas and Andre Koreshkov. These guys, they have a chip on their shoulder. They know they're being overlooked. They know that people consider them to be a step behind the Rory's and Michael Pages. They are two very dangerous guys. They've been in Bellator for a while. and they're Former champions. There. Yeah, they're going out there with something to prove. And I think that whichever guy comes out of that one to face either Paul or Michael, I think that's going to be a fun fight. That's just more guaranteed fireworks on that half of the bracket. So I think that's just going to be a ton of fun. And yeah, I'm ready for it. The first fight is announced for September 29th. Um, I can't imagine the other two fighting in 2019. I feel like the Paul-Michael fight will be this year. Ed and Neiman, same thing. The only one is Rory versus John Fitch. Depending on how Rory is, win or lose, after the fight with Gegard is probably going to determine how soon he fights John. But those John Fitch is the guy you need to prepare for. And I think that's something I don't want him to rush it. I want him to be healthy, in shape, and dialed in for this tournament. So I think that's my one caveat on how soon I want to see that one. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing. Rory McDonald is putting his title on the line. So if they're going to kind of, I guess, cater to any of the guys there, it should be the champion who's who is willing to jump in and be a part of this tournament. So I'm sure they will. I agree. And the, oh, um, not written down, but the altern the alternate matchup in case someone gets hurt is Lorenz Larkin against Yaroslav Amosov. So that one going to occur also at a later date. But fun stuff for Bellator. Also, we're two months away from getting back to the heavyweight Grand Prix. You know, that one's going to draw some interest when it gets here. So it's going to be a very fun autumn in the world of mixed martial arts after the interesting summer we've had. So it'll be good. But Kayla, we have a weekend off. No Bellator, no UFC, no Invicta. I'm debating, do I want to go watch a movie with my Saturday? Do I want to get out? I mean, options is so amazing. What about you? What are you thinking about for a week off from major MMA? 
Well, I have an engagement to go to my friend's housewarming party, and they are not MMA fans, so I'm so happy that I don't have to sneak to the bathroom to watch my UFC Fight Pass app. Hey, that's dedication right there. (laughs) Remember I told you at my friend's uh, rehearsal dinner for her wedding, she was so sweet enough because there was a few of us MMA fans that she had it at a restaurant that she strategically told them, you know, can you put put us at a table where my friends can still look through the window and watch the UFC fights. That, that is awesome. <laughs> I hope you got them like, the nicest gifts. Like she's my BFF. Yeah, not just like a toaster, like the industrial one that makes like six slices at once. You know what I mean? But um, that is cool. But yeah, so we'll be back next week. We have Bellator, Be- well, sorry, bantamweight champion Darian Caldwell moves up to featherweight to face Noad Lahat. And that one, obviously, what's next for him after that, seeing as we also had Michael McDonald win. So fun stuff. We always expect the UFC to break some news and everything else. So I think it's going to be a ton of fun. Kayla, until then, where can we keep up to talk to you about MMA? You guys can keep up with me at fangirl underscore MMA. Where can they keep up with you? Fans, you can find me all the time at double G on TV. Just spell out the word double. Remember, enjoy the fights. Listen to some Shania Twain. And we'll be back next week.